an excerpt from George Friedman's book Flashpoints, The Emerging Crisis in Europe, which was published in 2015. Yeah, 2015. Russia must, therefore, achieve a de degree of control over Belarus and Ukraine, a struggle that is underway now. It must then extend its control to some degree to Poland, Slovakia, Hungary and Romania. The logic of Russia's post-Cold War economic strategy forces it westward, as it did in the past. While Russia currently has no intention of going to war, can't simply leave the future of the borderland open. The strategy has to fo first focus on Belarus and Ukraine. At the moment, Belarus is not a problem. It is weak, has a leader who will bend to the Russians' will, and needs Russian investment. But even Belarus can't be taken for granted. Once the current leader, Lukashenko, leaves the scene, no one can predict the political evolution of the country. So the Russians must institutionalize their influence economically and through relations with the Belarusian intelligence services. The Russians must be constantly active in Belarus. The more immediate problem is Ukraine. It is a story that goes back to a strategic decision made by the United States and the peninsula in the 1990s. There were two strategies they could follow. One was to allow a neutral buffer zone of former Soviet-dominated states to exist. The other was to incorporate as many of these states into NATO and the EU as possible. The Russians were not in a position to block this move east. They thought, or at least claimed to have promised, that NATO would never advance into the former Soviet Union. When the Baltic states were admitted to NATO, that promise, whether real or not, was broken. NATO had moved more than 500 miles east towards Moscow, and it was now 100 miles from St. Petersburg. The first duel was over Ukraine, the key region for Russia. It wasn't only a matter of energy pipelines, but of the long-term physical security of Russia. The Ukrainian border with Russia is over 700 miles long. It is 500 miles from Moscow over flat, open terrain. Odessa and Sevastopol, both in Ukraine, provide Russia with commercial and military access to the Black Sea and the Mediterranean. If Ukraine were to be integrated into NATO and the European Union, Russia would face a threat not only in the Baltics, but one from Ukraine. Loss of access to Ukrainian territory would be a blow to Russian economic strategy. A Ukrainian alliance with NATO would pose an unmistakable threat to Russian national security. Precisely that threat has resurfaced. The Ukrainian situation simply does not reach closure. Everything settled is reopened. Given its importance to Russia, this makes sense. The word, Ukraina, means on the edge. It is a vast borderland linking the mainland to the peninsula. The eastern part is heavily Russian, ethnically, and the native tongue is Russian. 
The western part is dominated by Ukrainians oriented to the peninsula. The further west you go, the more western Ukraine becomes. I'll skip a few paragraphs here. There is a fragility to Ukraine. In the east, the Russian influence is heavy. Polish and Romanian influence dominates in the West, and Ukrainians as a whole are divided politically between those wanting to be part of the EU, and those wanting to be close to Russia, and those who want a fully independent Ukraine. This makes the Russians even more uneasy. Divisions such as these make Ukraine fertile ground for manipulation by anyone interested in it. The Russians are very aware of this vulnerability, because they themselves have been manipulating Ukraine for a long time. Because of this, the Russians will interpret outside involvement as manipulation, and potentially a threat to their overriding interests in Ukraine. American and European policy towards the former Soviet Union consisted of trying to turn former Soviet republics into constitutional democracies, under the prevailing theory that this would stabilise them, and integrate them into the Western economic and political system. As a result, both these countries and the United States engaged as the funding of non-governmental organisations they regarded as pro-democracy. The Russians saw funding of these groups as pro-Western and thus hostile to Russian interests. The same thing happened in Ukraine. Americans were oblivious to how Russians saw this interference. The Russians, on the other hand, do not believe the Westerners were that naive. In the 1990s, the Russians couldn't respond. They were too weak and fragmented themselves. The American and European view was that the Russians had nothing to respond to, as NATO was obviously not a threat, and they would profit from close relations with the European Union. America and Europe took advantage of business opportunities in Russia, assuming that all tensions had been abolished. Along with this came NGOs, filled with good wishes and self-righteousness. They regarded those who disrupted them as archaic or corrupt. Their mindset was that they intended good, so everyone of goodwill would see them as good. By 2001, the United States was completely focused on the Islamic world. The European militaries were hollowed out. NATO was barely functional. The idea that the Russians could feel threatened by support for democratic NGOs was dismissed as so implausible that the Russians couldn't possibly be serious. And to be frank, Europe and the Americans held Russia in contempt. It was weak and poor, and the West would do whatever they wanted to do. I skip a few more paragraphs here. The war with Georgia was designed to undermine the American position in the borderlands, to undermine pro-US and pro-European forces, and it succeeded. Clearly the United States would not intervene, and Europe could not. The Russian-Georgian war changed the dynamic of the region. Russia had struck in one direction, strengthening its position in the Caucasus and leveraging that to improve its position in Ukraine. Its approach in Georgia was direct military action. In Ukraine, it was covert and overt political pressure in the face of internal Ukrainian unrest 
triggered by military action in the Balkans. For a time of peace, the tensions in the borderland were building. Economics mattered a great deal, but the old strategic realities were becoming as important. Russia faces no military threat now, but it also knows that military threats emerge suddenly and unexpectedly from the peninsula. Given the uncertain future of Ukraine, that could come quickly. Russia doesn't have to use sudden military force to secure its interests, nor does it have that kind of force. But Russia would be reckless if it wasn't in the process of taking steps. This is the kind of thinking that seems archaic in today's Europe, but Vladimir Putin is a man trained not only in the permanence of geopolitical realities, but also in planning for worst-case scenario. His statement that the fall of the Soviet Union was a geopolitical disaster for the Soviet Union is playing itself out here. Russia has two strategies. One is to move as far west on the European plane as possible to create both strategic depth and industrial and technological resources. The other is to reach the Carpathian Mountains and use them as a barrier. Neither is currently a possibility. Assuming that Belarus remains in the Russian orbit, the Baltic states and Poland make a difficult barrier to expansion. Should something happen in Belarus, the line would move east. As for securing a foothold in the Carpathians to the south, the problem is not only Romania, but Ukraine. Thus, underneath it all, the Russians face a serious strategic problem. And on the whole, they face economic and strategic problems that they can't overcome. But all such problems are relative to the capabilities of those you are facing. Russia is inherently more powerful than the countries that form the Baltic-Belarus-Ukraine line. Barring third-party intervention, they can force their way or subvert their way west. They can also assert tremendous and probably decisive power on the next tier of countries, the Poland-Romania line. What has thus far prevented this is the potential power of the EU and NATO if they chose to resist, and the fact that Russia benefits as much from a genuinely neutral buffer zone as from occupation. Russia is looking to secure itself, not expand.